Everyone, thanks for joining me here. This is Dr. Darian Parker with Dr. D's Social Network Podcast, and happy to be back again with you this week. We have a great lineup of guests that will be joining us this week. Really excited about it. And uh, this week on our guests, we're going to be doing some pretty interesting stuff, a cannabis roundtable, uh, dancer from New York City, and a good friend of mine, Lance Smith. I enjoy doing my podcast. It's always a lot of fun meeting a lot of new people and connecting with friends that I have. Uh, but like I said, my name is Dr. Darian Parker. And one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit today was making good choices, uh, digital literacy and behavior. As you all may know, we live in a world full of lots of choices that we make on a daily basis, especially with the internet, where our choices seem almost limitless when it comes to how we behave online and the different options that we have uh, when it comes to the internet. Uh, but making good choices uh, is an interesting concept because it requires a lot of thought ahead of time. A lot of good decision-making generally happens in the planning stages of it. And a good part of that is understanding the situation that you're in and the desired outcome that you wanna have with it. So it's important to discuss the first, but before making a behavior change when it comes to digital literacy, what is digital literacy? And really it's understanding how you get information and how you interpret information online with that. And this can be uh, kind of a fuzzy concept, especially if you haven't spent a lot of time educationally understanding uh, a lot about reading research, reading articles, things of that nature, or breaking down what it means to have literacy when it comes to reading content online. Now, like most people, you have a news resource, an outlet, a, a content resource that gives you a variety of things that you can do. Uh, to receive the news in the world that's from the world that's around you here. But very few people actually have uh, digital literacy and very few, far fewer people understand the behavior that happens with our digital literacy. And this is where it becomes very easy to fall into the rabbit hole of disinformation uh, because it's simply just a spreading of ideas and not understanding how to properly pick those ideas apart rationally for that. So I'm a big proponent of digital literacy being taught in high schools, elementary schools early on, because this is the world we're living in. We're getting tremendous amount of research or data that's coming our way. We're streaming data on a consistent basis over and over and over again. But we're often not taught how to make good choices about the data that actually comes our way. So think about it on a regular basis is that you may not have a good grasp of the data that's coming to you, how to break down that data that's coming to you. And on the other thing that's going against you is that you're running against algorithms which are just providing you lots of data or recommendations, even if you just looked at something one time, just flippantly. So making good choices really starts with the operational definitions, understanding what's actually happening, with you with the, with the data that you're getting, understanding what it means to have good digital literacy and how your behavior plays into that. So um, this may seem maybe not super exciting, but I think whenever you're doing something and you're trying to learn something and gain wisdom through experience, it's really good to know 
what you're talking about for that. So let's break down a little bit if we're talking about data or information coming your way. So there's lots of different ways that we collect research data, observational data in our life. Every day, every day we're collecting data, what we see online, the people we're around, we're collecting information about each other, always. You see something about somebody, the dress they're wearing, the outfits they're wearing, the color of their eyes, the color of their hair. We're taking in data all the time. We're creating a picture of literacy for how we see the world on a regular basis. So you do this intuitively uh, all the time and it shapes your behavior and how you decide the things that you want to do on a regular basis with that. Now think about it from this way. You're receiving all this data, all this information from different news resources, organizations, different things like that. But have you thought definitively how this data is affecting your behavior on a regular basis? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. There's lots of good documentaries out there like The Social Dilemma, which talk a lot about this uh, concept of algorithms and all this data and data privacy and all those things. But let's break it down from an educational standpoint, the things that you're reading, okay? So for anybody out there, I'm sure you're reading news articles from different agencies all over the world. Maybe it's, you know, Reuters, Politico, BBC, CNN, Fox, whatever it may be for you. But you have to understand what is, what is the actual content you're looking at? Nowadays, what we're looking at a lot of is uh, like bumps or grab headline grabs to pull you into actually um, looking at something, okay? But it may not be what it seems. But often what people quote is like research. And a lot of articles say, hey, this research said, that research said. So one of the first things to understand is what type of research are you looking at? What type of data are you looking at to get your information? That's a big part of digital literacy and making uh, good decisions and how that affects your behavior, how that colors the world for you. So are you reading something that is an editorial, which is essentially someone's opinion about a certain topic? Uh, are you reading something that is a research-based article that it has citations from actual research studies? Are those uh, articles you're reading, are they, are they citing research studies that are one-off research studies who funds the research study? Is it a longitudinal study, a long-term study? How many people are in the study? Is it a meta-analysis? Meaning that is it a study that is a conglomeration of maybe 50, 60 studies that were looked at so that we can get a larger conclusion about the data for that information there. So looking at that is, can be really important. When you're looking at something editorialized and people are making definitive statements about it, that has what I would call a low digital literacy rate for that. You're getting someone's opinion who actually has not much knowledge, little to no knowledge in the area. They're just sharing their opinion. It's not, there's nothing wrong with sharing your opinion. However, if this is passed off as just factual information, then that could become a problem. Uh, for that. Again, if you're using uh, a site that provides recommendations or algorithms, you may be inundated with information that's purely anecdotal or just observational, purely opinion-based. 
those have fairly low digital literacy scores uh, with that. I mean, that you're learning something about a person's opinion, not about the factual information about the topic. Maybe what you're learning is the entertainment aspect of it uh, for that. If you want to actually learn something and gain an idea of indications of where things are going, then having appropriate citations are really important research studies uh, that are reputable and repeatable and reliable are really important for that. So understanding that concept is really important. So if you're getting most of your information from major news organizations, getting most of your information from uh, editorial-based places, you're getting essentially anecdotal-based things. You're getting pure opinion-based things. Again, I'm not saying that that's bad, but, I'm, but what I'm saying is that it's probably more for the entertainment value of it um, and for a person to get their point across. Um, so if you want to actually learn and get information related, you want to have it from reputable resources. Now, what's also really important within this is that there's a lot of talk about science and how science uh, is good or bad and we trust the science, all this. The real truth about science is that science is risk-taking and the science is only as good as the time that we're in. Think about it this way. Science is taking in information as a hypothesis. It goes through uh, looking at, hey, I'm thinking that this could be the case for this experiment. And then you perform an experiment and see what the results are and the goal is to perform an experiment where you control for most of the variables so that you can get the most accurate information possible for that. That's why it's very important to look at studies and say, was, the, was this done well? Were most of the variables controlled? Was it a pre and post study? Was it a survey study and of one study? What is the information? What were they trying to uh, learn in the study? And how was this put out there? What are the uh, faults of the study, uh, what are the things that, what did the evidence indicate? One of the biggest issues with digital literacy is we're going around saying constantly that research proves this. Research doesn't prove anything. Research doesn't prove it. And I see scientists saying this online or on documents. Research doesn't prove anything. It indicates that something might, might be happening. There's a good shot that this could be the case because of this mountain of evidence, but it doesn't prove that it's true. Research doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that something's true. It indicates that it may be likely that this or that is happening for that. So when you're receiving information, when you're looking at your own digital literacy, when you're looking at research-based information, look at it as this tells me as an indication that this information tells me it's likely that this is probably the case. It doesn't definitively say that it's true because the science is only as good, the digital literacy that you're having is only as good as the time that you're in. Think about it at the time of Galileo. The science of Galileo was very different from the science that we have now. At one point, we thought very differently about the solar system. We thought very differently about how we were aligned in the solar system, our planet Earth from that. 
we thought differently a long time ago, and we know differently now. It indicates that this is the case for that. So science is only as good as the time that you're in and with the information that you have. Think about it this way. When you're making a decision, when you're making a decision to hopefully make a good choice, the only thing you can do is take in the information that you currently have and make the best decision from the information that you have in front of you. You cannot make the best choice or best decision based off of future information or past information. You can make the best decision based off of the information you currently have at hand. So, and that indication and that information will give you an indication of what things are. So making good choices is mostly made up of the fact of what happens here and now and interpreting the information that we have. So let's look at it this way, okay? So going down kind of the rabbit hole effect. Uh, there's lots of great documentaries about this. Actually, I would uh, recommend um, the New York Times has a really great doc. They have a doc they have a, a show on Hulu, and they they go over different um, things going on in society and stuff like that. And one of them is about deep fakes, which I'm going to have a guest on talking about deep fakes and AI pretty AI pretty soon, which I'm really excited about. Uh, that'll be happening uh, here in December. Uh, but it was talking about the YouTube rabbit hole effect. I'm sure many people have done this, you've been recommended something on YouTube, you watch it, and then the algorithm continues to recommend things for you. It gives you information, at the information that it has at hand, your particular viewing habits, and it keeps feeding that to you. It only gives you what is happening currently, right? What is the information that you're, you're provi being provided? What are you likely like to look at for that? And then you make a decision based off of that. So going down a rabbit hole is often very easy for people, extremely easy, because what it does is requires you to sit in front of something, look at something, get information and determine at that time, it's likely that I want to watch more of this information. Maybe you have some past influences for that, uh, probably don't have future influences, but the information at hand will dictate more than likely what you're going to be doing for that. So making a good choice on what you're interested in or what you're going to believe is usually based off the information that you have at hand. So think about it this way. You have a, a, a segment of people, you know, there's a lot of increase in online, what we say conspiratorial thinking, code-like thinking, all those things. And many people are susceptible to it. Their digital literacy is very low for that, but they're making a decision to follow something based off of the information at hand that is telling them that this is likely what is happening for that. And we have seen that with a variety of things, the increase in the drive of online things for that. So you see people believing in what is nonsensical information that most people would consider to be nonsensical information because they have very low digital literacy. Having a high digital literacy is the ability to look at something that has credible information, that's repeatable information, factual information, and you can debunk that very easily with very sound, credible information. But the other part is that if you 
don't have the background or training to debunk that information. Or if you're in a silo or a mono-based culture or mono-information-based system, it will be very difficult for you to get out of that rabbit hole if you don't have a diversity in your thought process or you don't have a background in understanding what is appropriate literature for that time and what is completely bogus uh, for that. So we're in a time where so much information is being put forth to us online and we're making decisions based off of daily pieces of information that are coming our way, right? The internet is generally a very low digital literacy place to be. And the majority of humans have zero training, zero educational background to withstand the tide of the, lit of the literature that's coming your way. But I think it's really important is we're starting to see more people really rail against this and want a better internet. And I believe, I believe there's some legislature coming that will allow you to opt out of algorithms. And I actually think this is a great idea because the algorithm takes away in some ways some of your choice to make good digital literacy decisions. Um, that you should be able to look at something one day and look at something different the other day without being influenced to tell you to come back and look at the same thing you looked at the day before, for that. It's nudging, it's essentially nudging technology, nudge the philosophy and technique of nudging you towards more things. It's done all the time for that. So whenever making any decision, all you can really deal with is the information that you have at hand and make the best decision you can. But my goal is to arm you with good information uh, and it lets you know that there are ways to decipher uh, articles, uh, opinion pieces, all those things where you can, be, you can critically think about if this is something that is credible, if this is something that is nonsensical and, and really make that distinction. It's important to make the distinction between something that's likely to be a credible source of information and something that's likely to be completely nonsensical for that. It's critically important to making good decisions. We have to understand making decisions always comes with consequences. If you make the decision to follow things that are nonsensical, then you have to start thinking, and obviously this doesn't happen a lot, but part of the process should be thinking, what is the fallout or the consequences of engaging in potentially nonsensical information? If it starts taking over your life, becoming a big portion of what you're doing, uh, the fallout may be emotional, psychological, uh, social, all these different things related to that. So making good choices, part of that too, is diving into what are the consequences of that. Now, I know I've had people talk to me and tell me, say, hey, listen, sometimes people come from environments where it's difficult to make good choices because they're never, they never see good choices. And that's true. It's very difficult to make better choices if the environment you're in is full of bad choices and almost no good choices for that. That is an incredibly difficult situation to be in. And I think it requires a tremendous amount of help for uh, us to be more involved in places and communities where 
there is a mono thought process with that. And that's really what it is, regardless of, of, of what it is, whether it's in this part of the world or that part of the world, one of the most difficult things to overcome in good decision-making and in, in literacy digitally is this concept of mono thought process. So I mean, like if you're from a place and everybody is, this, is, is of a similar origin, a similar makeup, as a similar thought process idea, that often can have a very negative connotation towards how you see things. So if you're in a place that is heavily or only liberal, then you may only subscribe to those ideas. That is a mono thought process, not positive. If you're only in a place that subscribes to only conservative type things, it's often not a positive thing. If you're only in a place that subscribes to only um, what it, whatever it may be, let's say ideas is only science is important, right? There, that is not a, a good place to be in for that. You want diversity of thought. Diversity of thought is critically important. When you are around a lot of different people with a lot of different ideas, often it promotes a larger sense of digital literacy for that. We, we see that through research that people who are more educated, uh, have higher educational aspirations, degrees, visit a variety of different places, experience a lot of different cultures, often have a very different idea about the world and are generally more open-minded, agreeable, conscientious about how they see things. Now, one of the worst things Part of digital literacy and the, the difficulty in digital literacy is small-mindedness. If you are always in a, an environment that promotes small-minded mentality, only things that we've always done are what we're doing, you will have a small-minded mentality, which also will equate, more likely indicate that you're going to have a very low digital literacy. No one's actually challenging your point of view your point of view should be challenged because it doesn't mean that it's because a lot of people agree with you that you're right about what you're talking about. All those people may subscribe to the same things that you do, but it may have very low digital literacy, it may, very, may make very poor decisions because of the mono thought process. Okay, so mono thinking culture is negative. Mono thinking culture is negative. You need to have more diversity of thought. Diversity of thought is more open-minded, uh, is, is a more open-minded place to be. You'll be able to have differences of opinions because you've heard a lot of different opinions before, not just one thing. Which is why it's very interesting if you look at what's happening currently in our digital literacy, our algorithms and things of that are pushing people into mono thinking based culture because of recommendations, right? So that's a negative thing. In my opinion, it's a negative thing. But one of the things that's most important, if you're out there, if you're listening to this, the people who will listen to this, and you're dealing with family members who are, who have gone off, you know, the proverbial deep end and are really deeply involved in nonsensical, irrational-based information. And I think everyone here knows what a lot of that is today. Um, 
the idea is not necessarily to shun those people or to create confrontation with them in order to change their minds so they make better decisions. The idea is it's more likely if you surround those folks with a lot of different thought processes, so a lot of different people who have different ideas, then there may be a different outlook that comes from that process there. And to be kind, to not create defense through your offensive behavior for that. You know, when someone has very low digital literacy or low decision-making um, probabilities, the, the idea isn't to come up to the person and go, you make bad decisions. Or to say, hey, you believe in X, Y, Z, that's dumb. That's actually one of the worst things you can do because you're creating defensiveness by being and essentially insulting or saying that your ideas are better than theirs for that. Or shunning people and say, I can't talk to that type of person. I don't talk to those type of people. It's also a negative thing to do. You're causing more mono thinking based behavior with that. So the idea that generally works for helping people to come out of more of nonsensical, irrational uh, behavioral patterns is to try to surround them with people who have a diversity of thought and who also are not confrontational, but kind and open-minded. So this leads to uh, the part of the conversation here, which I'm gonna change out our, uh, I'm gonna change out here the title of this here. So those of you who are gonna be listening to this podcast here, I'm on the Wisdom app, which I really enjoy. And we're talking about making good decisions, but we're gonna talk a little bit about personality type with that too, or um, the big five personality. There we go, I'm typing this thing, man. Big five personality. Uh, big five personality, big five model of personality. A lot of people are really interested in personality and they're very interested in doing these um, tests for that. So let's see. All right. We're back in. So one of the ways we can make better decisions in our lives is to understand our personality. Actually, before I get into this, some little back background on myself. So my background is in behavior modification. Uh, my doctorate is in sports education leadership with uh, emphasis in behavior modification in sports and exercise settings. Um, and I've written some articles uh, as recently this past summer, I published a pretty large article on uh, compassionate coaching using the big five model of personality and also the wellness wheel. But uh, so I think it's a great resource. Uh, it's through IDEA. It's published through Ideas Magazine. It's a great resource for understanding personality. Um, also, uh, if you go on Explained on Netflix, uh, exp the mind, Explain the Mind, there is about 20-minute Explained episode that talks all about personality and particularly the big five, which is generally our best understanding currently of what personality is. It's not perfect, but it is with the information we currently have, our best understanding of how people, uh, how people's personalities evolve for that. So before we dive into the big five, I, I want to make something very clear. And maybe 
I like to put disclaimers on things and I like to have operational definitions of things. Okay. So I want to make this clear uh, that, that I am not trying to slander or talk poorly about these two things that I'm going to say. I'm just saying that providing information that is factual related to these two things. So uh, a lot of people are very much into Myers-Briggs tests and Enneagram. Okay? So what's important to understand is these two things are not scientifically based at all. And they also put you into personality types or boxes. And we know through extensive research that humans are not grouped into boxes or personality types. There is no such thing as a type A behavior, a type B behavior, or that you are a one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever it may be. These things do not exist. They're not factually based. Uh, they're made up things. Um, and often people get roped into these personality tests uh, because of the excitement of them. They want, people want certainty. When you lack trust in something, or you lack stability in something, you look for certainty. When you lack trust or you have mistrust of institutions or different things, you want certainty. People wanna know what their personality is, what defines them. But we know through extensive research that it's indicated that that is not how humans are. Humans are always evolving. We are malleable creatures always moving back and forth on a scale of how we are. We may have tendencies to be more uh, excitable, rah-rah, uh, or more quiet, reserved, but doesn't mean that we can't become those other things as well. So my recommendation based off of the information that we currently know about personality testing is do not spend your time on Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, anything like that. They have no foundation. In science, there's really no information that tells you that any of that is likely to be you for that. In many ways, it is very similar to horoscope, a horoscope reading for that. Okay, so I wanted to get that out of the way. I know some of you guys subscribe to that. If that's what you want to do, that's great. It's your prerogative. I'm just providing information about factual information about this. So what do we know about the big five model of personality for that? We know that these five traits of personality uh, are, when measured, are traits that we know humans exhibit over the, their entire lifespan, right? So it's also called ocean model, right? So that people uh, exhibit over the course of their lifetime these stable traits and that people move back and forth up and down on a line with these traits, okay? So you have ocean, which is openness, all right? So people's level of openness is moves up and down throughout the course of their life, okay? Again, a good demonstration of this is on Netflix, on personality, on Explained. They do a great job of this on there too. Um, then you have conscientiousness, okay? People have different waves of that. Um, extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism make up the big five model of personality. You could look this up, Google Scholar. I would highly recommend using Google Scholar. You could, there is so much research on the big five model. It's been applied to almost every sector of living. And an indication is that it's very much a big part. It's indicating that this is the generally the best way we know ourselves currently. 
Now, another disclaimer with it is that the big five is not perfect. And in fact, for nations that are not as industrialized or not as wealthy, it doesn't really account very well for those nations for that. But your more developed nations, more financially well nations, the big five is uh, indicated that is very spot on uh, for that. But it's the best we have currently. And uh, I've seen many things where we want to add to the big five, adding humor actually to it, which I think would be awesome for that. So let's go over those. Uh, because on wisdom here, we're about providing information, right? We want to have people have very relevant information that they can have that will have an impact on their lives here. So openness, okay? So your ability to be open-minded, um, to look at situations in life and think about different ways of solving a problem. Uh, open-mindedness is probably the biggest aspect of openness. Do you have a high level of open-mindedness or low level? could depend. Maybe there's some situations where you're more closed-minded because you need to be. It may be beneficial. And there may be some situations where you're more open-minded. And this could happen on a daily basis, yearly basis, monthly basis, decade basis. You may vacillate between open-mindedness and closed-mindedness depending on the situation. But maybe you have a tendency to be more open-minded about things based off of where you grew up, the people you're around, those type of things. Conscientiousness, are you someone that is very diligent uh, about getting things done, organized, on time, punctual, the whole thing? Uh, you are very understanding about the situations that are happening and how you handle those situations. Uh, that's, um, so do, maybe you're very conscientious about certain things in your life. You prioritize certain, uh, certain things very well, and maybe you're less conscientious about some other things in your life. Again, maybe you have a propensity to be very conscientious. I know for myself, uh, I primarily take on a trait of high conscientiousness. I tend to be very, very involved with organization. I want my email to be like empty. I want to be early before, you know, to go to places. I want to get things done well before the deadline. I've been like that my entire life. However, there's some things that I am less conscientious about. I'm not as good with cleaning and as being as conscientious with uh, cleaning in the house, the little areas, maybe that cleaning the grout and stuff like that. I'm less conscientious about that, but I've become better with those things, become more conscientious in those areas of my life. Now, the next one is extroversion. Are you more outgoing, more excitable, or are you more reserved, more low key in their are some people that I'm sure you you know, I know that seem to always be on and super excitable, but that doesn't mean that they don't have times in their life where they want to be more reserved, more low key for that. Next thing we have is agreeableness, right? How agreeable are you to different ideas? Uh, how agreeable are you to different situations, different opportunities? Or someone is more agreeable to maybe moving outside of your state or less agreeable to moving, more agreeable with this certain way of thinking or less agreeable for that. Again, those things can vacillate throughout time. And the last one is neuroticism, which is a very interesting uh, trait. So essentially, neuroticism looks at emotional stability or regulation. Are you a very low 
on the neurotic scale, meaning that you have very good emotional regulation, you uh, are confronted with situations and you are very calm about it. You think things through practically. You try to take the emotion out of it as much as possible, be pragmatic. Or are you more nervous, more jittery about things? Um, when situations come to you, you have less coping mechanisms and you don't deal well with situations. That's neuroticism for that. So when we look at this big five model of personality, there's a, a megaton of, re I'm serious, go to Google Scholar, go to Google, you're gonna see a megaton of research about the big five, five model and almost anything in life. But we have through a meta-analysis of studies, we know through so much research uh, and information that two of those, two or three of those traits are heavily indicated to be huge factors towards success in almost any area of life. So I wrote about this in my article, um, Compassionate Coaching. If you, in a summary of the research, meta-analysis of research, when you look at family, friendships, uh, romantic partnerships, job performance, Openness and conscientiousness are heavily indicated to be huge positive factors for success in being a good brother or sister, being a competent parent, being a competent, productive um, worker and your um, employee or um, business person, and to be uh, a competent, loving, caring a partner and a romantic relationship or in a friendship, conscientiousness and openness. This probably makes a lot of sense if you think about it. How many people are you good friends with who are extremely close-minded and who are negative about you and your life um, and who are just never pay attention to anything? Maybe you have a very acquaintance-based relationship, but um, often the best relationships involve a lot of open-mindedness and conscientiousness with it, right? If you want to have a good friendship with someone, you need to be conscientious to keep that friendship going. Each person has to play a role in keeping the friendship alive and going into nurturing it and to make it steady, right? If both people are very low in terms of their conscientiousness and the friendship, they will never spend time together because they're not, they don't make it a priority. Or same thing with uh, a long-term relationship with that. So we know more positive family relationships, more positive partner, romantic partner relationships, more positive work relationships and performance uh, are are heavily indicated to be influenced by high levels of organization, uh, high levels of punctuality, high levels of open-minded thinking, it heavily influences the positivity rate of all of those relationships and your work performance for that. Now, again, you might vacillate in between those things. Again, hopefully you're more conscientious than you're not. Hopefully, hopefully, you're more open-minded than you're not for that. Again, there may be situations when it's good to be more closed-minded. 
and good situations to be less conscientious. Maybe if you're on a vacation, downtime, and you don't want to plan anything, it's probably better to be less conscientious, just let things happen for that. But in general, we do know through, we can indicate, we suspect through meta-analyses in a variety of different areas of life. We know, we, we suspect, the research indicates that conscientiousness, open-mindedness are very, very important factors. High levels of this are very important factors to success and relationship building, whatever the connotation of that is for that. We also know that people with very low, or it's indicated that people with very low levels of emotional regulation, the lack of ability to cope regularly with stress often do very poorly with relationship building and long-term success in a variety of fields for that. So understanding the self is very important, but it also means that you don't have to stay at that point. You don't have to stay there and make that the place that you, your final resting place for that. You will change, you will move. But a good thing to understand though, as well as that, as we age and as we get older, we tend to become more mellower, more relaxed, more easygoing, but our thoughts and ideas tend to start cementing quite a bit. So this is kind of thing you see with people as they age and become maybe senior citizens, become elderly, is kind of this trap, this thought trap of that staying in a certain mindset, not being open to new ideas. Doesn't mean that you can't be. It's not uh, cement fully guarded, can't get in, nothing gets in there. It's not airtight. It's just harder as we age. And so in terms of the big five model of personality, we know that people do become mellower and more relaxed in many ways easier to approach, but also sometimes they go backwards in their ability to be open-minded for new ideas for that. So it's not our ending point, but it just tells us where we're currently at and where we could go. Uh, with that there. <coughs> Excuse me. So when I started this talk about making good decisions, um, digital literacy, um, and behavior. My background is in behavior. I'm fascinated by it. It's my educational background. My professional work is primarily in the fitness aspect of it. But one of the biggest things in order to have better behavior is to understand where you are currently in your personality and also that you have a diversity, you have a chance to have diversity of thought in that personality. So one of the things that I like to do is I spend a lot of time talking to different people over and over again. Every week I schedule phone calls, I have these podcasts, and I'm always having talking to people with different points of view than mine. And sometimes I have people who have the same point of view as mine. But the common denominator is that I'm talking to people who are open-minded and conscientious for that because from all the information we have, the research indicates that if we're more in line with that type of behavior, we're gonna be more successful over the course of time with that. So I actually made the choice, you know, I, was thinking, I complain about social media all the time. I'm just, I don't, I got rid of all my social media. I don't like the behavioral connotation behind it. And we're seeing researchers indicating 
It's not for sure, but the wall, the lit, wall of literature is starting to indicate that the current version of our social media is not the best for our social emotional uh, health, our psychological health. I'm seeing this trend as more and more studies come out, more and more meta-analyses start to come together as we've had the internet for a long, social media for a long time. It made me think if I wanna make a change, if I wanna have better behavior, because I like social media, I think it can be very good. I wanna do my own thing. So I created my own social media platform uh, with a colleague of mine, we just launched it uh, maybe two weeks ago. It's called FEM, it's FEM-community.com fem-community.com. It's an awesome place. Uh, we're so new. We have about 15 people on there and it's a grassroots thing. But what makes it really different is it has a very feminine energy approach and it's all about being more open-minded, conscientious, um, having teaching high levels of emotional regulation. And I've used the big five model to model this social media network after that. And I think it's positive. But the other thing that I think is a really game changer, which I recognize that will create a much slower adoption of the site is it's a paid membership site. Social media technically is free, even though you are the product on there. Every site uh, that is on, even Wisdom, I'm sure, you may be getting it for free, but there is money involved on some level and there's payment involved on some level. You may not be feeling it, but someone is making money off of you for that. I want you to be the consumer because I know behaviorally, when you pay for something, you pay different attention to your behavior for that. All right? So when you pay for something, you feel a better invest, a bigger investment towards it, a different caretaking towards it. So our site is a paid access social media site. You cannot creep on people's pages, look at stuff, find ways to you know, do recon about someone's uh, profile on there. You actually have to be a member of the site. A membership provides a lot of power, not only for the creators, but for the consumers for that. Because you can stop your membership and you make that decision. When you make a decision to try to delete from another site, the powers that be make it extremely hard for that to happen because they want you on there. Well, I want you on there. I don't want you on there all the time. You should have a full, well-rounded life of doing a lot of things outside of just being on social media a lot or on a computer. So I'm employing a lot of behavioral modification techniques uh, and things over the course of my time to create a better social media experience. I believe it's what social media should be. We have a heavy emphasis on charities. So people who join a portion of their membership goes to our charities, which are for uh, animal rescue, sanctuaries, uh, for underrepresented, underrepresented um, people, minorities, indigenous people. Um, we're trying to help the community. And I think part of this, part of the membership should be with that as well. But news articles that are reputable from good sources or sourcing things from good um, journals, uh, information that is reputable, repeatable, that's important, but mostly we're creating a positive vibe, a humility, um, kindness-centered based vibe on there. And that's something that we need more of. We need people, if we want to have something that's the same, if we want to have something that's a mono situation, 
kindness, caring, love, goodness, that all humans should have a mono thought process about. <coughs> Excuse me. We should have a thought process that is similar for those characteristics and things. So that's what we created on there. Uh, we have a seven-day trial on there. So seven days, you can go on FEM, check it out, meet some great people. And at the end of that seven days, if you decide you want to be a part of the community, then we have the monthly membership or the annual membership. Uh, and if you don't, hey, that's great. You give it a shot and you checked it out. If you're interested in that seven-day trial, I will send you that personally. Uh, it's not something you will get just directly on the site. Uh, you could pay directly for it. Immediately go on there and do that if you want. Uh, but I recommend the seven-day trial just to get your feet wet, see what it's like, meet some amazing people. I'll be posting my podcast in there, episodes, and uh, really happy that um, we've created something like that. It's a grassroots thing. It's really coming together nicely. And I, I believe it's something you're going to want to be a part of. But it's all based off of behavior and the big five model of personality for that. So uh, please make sure you check that out if you're interested in a different type of social media experience, one that essentially goes against everything that's currently going on. We're not afraid to have a small group of people. We're also going to be capping the membership, so it's not going to be saturated uh, with so many people that you don't feel like you can actually spend time on it as well. So I think it's going to be awesome, but big five model of personality, making good decisions, one to provide some wisdom for you guys. Uh, today. I love being a top mentor on here. I hope that you guys got a lot out of this conversation. Uh, this will be out on all major podcast platforms. And then this week, I have three episodes coming out on my podcast interviews that I also put on here at the same time. So you can listen in on the interviews as I talk to different people for that. But got to run. Time for me to go train some personal training tonight with some clients, long-term amazing people. Um, Feel free to check out my website, spell it all the way out, drdarianparker.com, drdarianparker.com. If you want to check out a little bit more about me, what I'm up to, so grateful that you guys listen in today. Thanks.